So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody. I'm so excited to get this uh, podcast started. We have with us today my friend Ken Green. We tried this multiple times to get him on, but this is going to be a great podcast because, as you know, I'm obsessed with finances, and uh, this is actually an engineer turned financial advisor. So definitely a different approach and different uh, look at it. And I don't want to waste any time sitting here talking and covering anything. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, That's great. Thank you. I'm excited to finally be on your show. So thanks for having me. Me too. Well, for context, before we start talking about finance and personal finance or everything, give people a little bit of your background and how, you know, as an engineer, how you got into this game. Oh, how I got into it. Uh, it, was a, it was a painful process, but yeah, I got my Bachelor of Science uh, degrees in electrical engineering and uh, civil, and I minored in mechanical and uh, had my professional engineering license and civil uh, license in Nevada and California and uh, loved what I was doing. And then near end 08, I, 2008, I was on the, on the corner saying I'll engineer for food because all land development stopped. And I just went through this great purge, and I was always was fascinated by. Amazingly enough, I was I was very interested in the insurance industry, and the financial industry. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'll, I'll just I'll just go do that because I love the Reno Tahoe area. My family lives here. My parents, and I was just starting a serious relationship who's with my girlfriend now, who's my wife. I have a beautiful boy uh, because of a great family, and so that's how I got into the industry. It, I was to survive, and boy, did I hate it at first. Really, boy, I hate it. And what mm-hmm. did you hate about it? I just don't get along with most financial advisors yeah, <laughs> or insurance agents. Um, I just thought when I got in, I, I had this level of expectation. I worked in the engineering space. And, and let me not discount. There's some really great advisors out there. It's just the 99% make the 1% look bad. Yeah. And, uh, but when I first got in, I was like, man, I'm going to learn so much about auto insurance and home insurance and how it all works and how it doesn't more importantly, doesn't work and learn about the financial industry and how it works. And, and I just found out the majority of really successful advisors, they're just very, the ones that have succeeded, very hardworking. I'll never discount that very hardworking out there, networking, shaking hands, very charismatic and enjoy their clients. And I think the majority really want to do a, a good job. It's just, but how they teach it and what the, how they approach it. Let's put it this way. I, when I educate and help my clients in the financial industry, I, uh, I say, hey, here's how the banks make money. Here's how Wall Street makes money. Here's what all their sales reps are teaching you to do. But the industry is doing the exact opposite. So I have a really bold idea. Why don't I just teach you the exact... Let me t- show you what they're really doing. Let's just do the exact opposite of what they're teaching you to do. And let's do what they're really doing. And that's the principles that I apply. But it took me, you know, a little bit of time to figure that out. And so it's just there's that's that's why I struggle with it. I and mean, when you look at the financial industry and you look at less than one percent of American households have enough money for retirement in the wealthiest nation in the world, wealthiest at this time, yet the uh, the financial industry has done industry has done incredibly well. So that's just that's just that inverse relationship just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I you're literally preaching to the choir, man. I got to tell you, when I was 
started in interviewing personal finance, uh, uh, financial advisors, um, I found that I didn't agree with what they were preaching and what had made uh, me my money was actually counterintuitive of what they were teaching. And so I was going, you're trying to manage my money, although the way that I got it, which was more than most of the financial advisors, you're advising against. And I'm going, well, this is working for me. And, uh, you know, even through the recession, and it, that was a very interesting process. And I, I read a great book, and it's called, uh, uh, I think it's called Where Are the Customer's Yachts. You read that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, my, my dad showed me that book about a decade ago because I'm ranting against the industry. And, and a matter of fact, um, yeah, so I'll let you t- continue. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you it, on that. No, 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 no. It, it's um, a, a, a great book that I always looked at and, and talked about where you have the financiers uh, or the customers' yachts. And the financiers have yachts and the customers, uh, a little boy asks the guy, it says, you know, look at the, here's the big banks and, you know, here's the, the banker's yachts. And the, the, the kid asked, well, where now, what do these guys do? Oh, they make people money. Oh, well, then where are all the customers yachts? Yeah, where are the clients yachts? Yeah, where are the my, clients I actually, yachts? I think in one of my blogs years ago, I took a screen snip, um, a clipping of, of the books. It's like, where are the customers yachts? And, and my dad gave this to me as kind of, he, he likes reading wall street journal, the, the physical version, which is amazing to me who opens up a newspaper anymore, but. Okay. Uh, that, that's hilarious. Cause I have like a stack of them next to me. Oh, that's awesome. I, I, <laughs> I, what's, what's fascinating I'm one is, of those weird people. I like to sit down and read the newspaper, just the wall I, street I, journal, no other newspaper. Yeah. So is my wife. She likes the big thing. I can't stand it's too big for me, but I do love, um, I love a lot of the digital stuff, but then when it comes to books, it ha- I like physical. Me too. I, I play the Kindle game, and but typically, if I can, I enjoy having. It's real to me. Me who hates paperwork, it it's just real to me having a, uh, the book in my well, hand. I take notes. My, I use them as study guides. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's good. And then I'm um, part of the words customers yachts. My dad gave this clipping from Wall Street: pepper and salt. Uh, what and it has a financial advisor on, on one side and the client on the other. And his response was, wouldn't it be more fun to spend it while I'm young enough to enjoy it? And so the industry is teaching buy and hold, buy and hold, and the power of compound interest. And But when you look at the industry makes money, it's not about buy and hold for them. It's not compounding interest. It's about velocity of money. And it's about getting turn. It's about money in motion and wealth in motion. And uh, so they're telling their clients, yeah, hey, all put all about your money. Leverage. It's all about velocity of money. And they yeah, utilize for them, people, but they're teaching exactly their clients the exact them. opposite. You know, I, I made a, a a video I'm actually posting on online here soon, um, which I'm actually kind of nervous about posting it. So I haven't posted it yet because the video um, is, is titled um, How Saving Money Makes You Poor and Me Rich. Um, and Why are you nervous about putting that up? I just think I'm going to get a bunch of flack for it <laughs> as, <laughs> as I describe to people how the money system works and how I use their money and I get it non-recourse and I leverage it and I shift the risk to safe investors. And so I take no risk. They take my risk, yet I make all the returns me and the <laughs> bank do, do, and they don't even – and they lose money every year because they don't even keep up with inflation and their bonds, you know, which are steady true – they're actually just taking on my risk and I'm making all the money. And um, that's just something people don't understand how that works. 
Well, it's banking 101, and I think that's a great way to represent it. And I love educating clients how uh, banking and fractional banking works. And uh, so they're teaching us to do one thing, yet they're doing the exact opposite. And so in, in what you just discussed that you do is exactly what the industry does, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the financial industry does is it's uh, who has all the risk. Well, it's their investors. It's the yes. people saving. And yes. then through contractual obligations, they're going out through the spread, leveraging that money and uh, getting higher rates of return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shifting all that risk onto uh, their clients. Yeah, it's amazing. They make all the return they get, and they take none of the risk. And they're yeah. now the customers have ended up with no return and all the risk. It's it became counterintuitive, and, and I don't know. Maybe it was the you know uh, Glass Steagall that really brought this on. And when the investment bankers, for example, could really shift risk off them and, by going public and using shares for the. I'm speaking specifically towards the investment banks. Because Mm -hmm. investment banks went from leveraging very little to leveraging astronomical amounts um, after they they were able to go public and shift that risk onto shareholders. I I would, yeah, I I talk about that too. And I I think that's, we're definitely in alignment. And I'm a huge believer that like attracts like. So that's probably why I'm on your show, right? Yes. And why you were on my show a a while ago. Yes. And uh, and it was fun. And you're quite the hit. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So how do you, so when you're talking to people and they go, all right, I get it, Ken. I get it. Like now, like you've walked them through this idea that we're talking about right here. You need to be doing what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be playing on the other side. How do you do that? I think, you know, people listen to this podcast now, they go, okay. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I'm getting the short end of the stick and they're making all the money. But how do you inverse that? How do you be the bank? How do you be that guy? Yeah, so what? So very simple principles. And I always joke, I mean, and by the way, I did it all wrong. That's how I got in the industry. I mean, I thought I was so smart as an engineer and I'm trying to learn. I, one thing that really drives me in this industry is I crave to be the advisor that did not exist for me when I was 22. And when I worked, uh, I was I was an engineer, electrical engineer. I'm doing outside plant management uh, for the telephone company. I was making an income, um, more money I knew what to do with. So I go out and seek a financial advisor. Hey, what do I do with my money? He didn't look at my economic position, didn't look at my debts, didn't look at how money was flowing for me. He just did the typical how we brainwash to think, oh, put your money in this 401k, put your money in these IRAs. And uh, we're just so smart with your money and you're going to have it all back at 60. And oh my gosh, I'm going to be dead at 60. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And it was like, in, in my gut, it just didn't make sense to me. I'm going to give you all this kind of money that I don't get to spend and use until I'm 60. But I liked him. He was real successful as a realtor. Then he got in the financial industry uh, with these big name broker dealers. Like, wow, he must know more than me. So I'll just do it. And then a month later, they come to me and say, hey, Ken, you got a strong credit. You got a strong income. You should get a 30-year mortgage. Well, this is really fascinating. So, and I did it because I was just brainwashed to do it. It made sense. I trusted he must know a lot more. I didn't spend a whole bunch of time studying money in college. I'm learning how to be an engineer. And uh, so what happened? I mean, they just got my money for 30 years through the IRAs, essentially. I'm oversimplifying, but not much. And then a month later, they lent it back to me for 30 years. I owned the IRA. I owned the 401k, but who controlled it? And I have a blog on my website that talks about... um, you know, uh, it's a marriage in hell between the financial industry and the IRS. They control it. They make the rules. And so how do I flip the script? What I like doing when I work with clients is, hey, I need to understand where they're at. I need to understand where they're positioned at, how they're moving their money, uh, how much liquidity they have in place. Liquidity is incredibly important. And the biggest thing I do to educate clients on, the way I define savings and investments, savings 
they're safe and they're liquid. We can access it within two weeks. We need to have savings. I don't care if it's making zero. I get it. But I really like to create a buffer six months to a year. And then once that's in place, now that's your permission to start chasing rates of return. What got me in this industry is that I had aggressive investments in the oil and natural gas, offshore investments. Uh, I own 40 acres of land outright in uh, northern Reno, had my house, had my boat, cars and stuff, and actually lived well within my means, but I had nothing in savings. I had no liquidity. It was all pedaled mm-hmm. to the metal investments because I had this fear. I don't want to call it fear of missing out, but I just wanted to get after it. I wanted yeah. the passive income stream. I wanted the financial freedom. And, uh, but, and that was the first time in my life I experienced deflation. Watching what look was once 450000 in real estate, all of a sudden it's less than 200000 It was amazing. And that kind of lack of liquidity, and then a fascinating thing occurs when you go call up, said one of the banks, but hey, remember those 10 years I've overpaid my mortgage every single month? Because that's what someone says is a good strategy to want that interest working against you. It's a bad strategy, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I can explain for most clients, that's a bad strategy. There's way better ways of playing the game. Um, but yeah, you call them up, say, hey, I just lost my six-figure income. I can't sell my land. All my investments aren't liquid. And uh, can I just not pay for the next six months to a year until I get a new job? And you, you know how that worked out. And so, uh, so what I talk about savings, and I'm Captain Tangent, by the way, AJ, if you haven't figured out, but usually <laughs> it comes back to the, to the point. The, uh, so liquidity, one of the first things I teach my clients is I'm going to teach them the spread. I'm going to show how banks and money flows and how that concept works and how you really don't have to take more risk to have phenomenal returns. That is BS about the industry teaches. The more risk, the greater the returns. Oh, really? So in a simple example, I'll show how the banks move money in a way that, hey, they got a contractual obligation to pay you a tenth of a percent in these high yield savings accounts, 10%. You know, one big custodian that I work with, I really respect them. They have a high yield checking account that is 0.05%. I'm like, guys, why just just call it a no fee account? But that's just insulting. A high yield checking account? Give me a break. But when the banks are giving you a 10%, and then yet you give them your money, they go loan it out literally to your neighbor so she can go buy a Tesla for hundred grand. And then on a simple interest example, say they're charging 3.1%, you're getting a tenth. That bank has an obligation to pay you a hundred bucks at the end of the year. They have a financial obligation from your neighbor to get 3,100. And you look at the spread, 3,100 minus $100, that's three grand. Who had all the risk in that contraction? The banks? The, the saver lending the hundred grand to her neighbor. Or his neighbor, right? In that yeah. in that example, and then and you look at the ratio on that, and you look at the ROI. That is a three thousand percent rate of return. I mean, it's it's fascinating. The banks didn't have any risk in that situation. They were leveraging other people's money. Yep. One contractual obligation, another contractual obligation. So walking through that example, showing how we can live off the spread, and then showing how through fractional banking that uh, you can create this velocity of money, this term. Uh, because they're able to do it over and over and over again with uh, less than a uh, <laughs> one to 10 ratio, right? It's it's crazy. And so that just showing and educating, I found that the majority of clients I work with want the education. They want to know how to play the game. And it's really not that difficult. But then the savings piece is important. And then showing investments. The way I define investments is that's your ability to chase rates return. But you can be in a bulletproof investment, but you can have a liquidity risk. You might not be able to access that money for a year or two years or five years. Or if you're 
handcuffed in the IRA or 401k, you're not going to be able to touch it for 40 years if you're in your 20s. And I'm not anti-401k and anti-IRAs. I, I just think that's they have their place. But uh, I just think that's the, the last place we should look. Yet you talk to 99 out of 100 uh, financial advisors, that's the first place they want to put you. Yes. Where for me, and this is delayed gratification, my business model is painful. Uh, but because I'm not getting paid anything showing clients to put things into savings. I have clients, I'll sit down and prospective clients. I'll sit down, I'll look at their situation and say, you know what's in your best interest? We should stuff money under a mattress for the next year or two or potentially implement, which I love teaching about the bank of Soros, but get as much liquidity as possible. Get six months of a buffer before we start chasing all these investments on the stock market outside. I hate the word alternative investments because how's that brainwash, brainwashing from uh, Wall Street, no right? No kidding. It's alternative to the stock market. Well, these are all investments. My wealthiest clients, this might be a, well, I know it's not a shocker to you or your listeners. It's not from the stock market. No. They, it's from real estate. Yeah. Right? No, I, it's, I, I it's, don't know anybody that's made, that's gotten rich off the stock market. And to, yeah, I love when people say, well, Warren Buffett got rich buying stocks. No, he didn't. He got rich by buying <laughs> He got rich by buying the entire company and he using buys, the float he, from insurance company to reinvest without paying taxes. And then he goes out yes. and he buys the controlling interest and he gets paid the dividends for it. They're, they're, he's not just buying stocks. That's not how it's he's, working. Agreed. He's not your, and I've talked about this uh, on my show is that he is not your, he, he's not investing in buying and holding, buying a stock. He goes and buys undervalued, valuable companies. He makes the money on the buy and he hangs onto them forever. Typically. Yeah. Forever. And he uses and so those returns to reinvest. That's right. And that's their velocity of money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that that's the way how the game should be played. And I know I gave you a long winded answer, but essentially it's like looking where people are at, understanding how money's flowing and uh, you know, and explaining simple concepts that once it's like one of my favorite books is uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, right? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mean, it's such a simple book, but it took an author, it took him in that paradigm shift for me when I read it in my 20s, uh, it's like seeing it from the outside, it's like, gosh, man, that's so simple, but no one explained it to me that way. Yeah. And then it builds upon itself. And then, so it's just giving that education and then walking my clients through simple processes. Let's change how money's flowing. You know, you'd be amazed at how it's just typical. Uh, and I think it's from the financial industry where they're, they're teaching their clients, chasing these rates of return in the stock market. That's how you're going to get rich. Yet there's credit cards and debts out there that are 18, 19, 20, 29%. You're never going to win. You cannot get ahead if you have a 29 for 29% headwind, yet uh, you got a market with all the risk. That's going to make you eight, 9%. You can't win that way. It's just changing how money flows. And that's, that's how I help clients is, hey, let's create some liquidity. Let's start changing how money flows so we don't have, if you have bad debts working against you, we can move those things in a way and create a substantial amount of cash flow for your family uh, and, and some reading material and homework. Everyone I work with, they have to, um, they have to do their homework. Here's these two tasks. Here's these tasks. Go do them and then we'll meet in uh, seven days. So is, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, in, in stacking in the right columns and getting rid of the stuff in the other columns um, and getting yourself prepared for opportunities and taking advantage of them. It, I love the idea of the, the way money flows. Mm -hmm. And it's a simple way of looking at it, but it's an important way of looking at it. It's the difference of like I've always thought, am I being a consumer or a producer? 
So do I consume the assets? And I looked and I, it's one of those ideas of the functionality of the economy that everything I'm consuming is making somebody else money. Well, then what is making me money? Because if all I am is stacked up and spending and, you know, uh, giving banks money and then make it all of a sudden, I am simply a participant working in this machine to make other people money. Well, what part of the machines are making me money? And mm -hmm. start looking at the other column. Where's my capital cash flow coming in? And what things are rigged against me, right? Credit card debt's a perfect example. It's a rigged game. It's rigged against you. And it's just, it's like <laughs> infects your, your financial ability to do anything. Um, personal debt and consumer debt in general, consumer debt is, is wrong. And when you looked at the banks, and when I looked at successful big companies, I noticed their only kind of short-term debt that they had could be paid off at any time. So they had rollover accounts and they had their, their petty cash accounts. So all that short-term debt was immediately could be paid off and was never really occurring interest. Their long-term debts associated were in asset-based, but still they never got out of a three-year period. And then I started looking around at most people's personal financials and it was the exact opposite of what successful businesses were doing, right? Their savings and their capitals were going into depreciating assets they were going into things, and then they had debt that was allowing them to purchase depreciating assets and getting a 18% or a 15% increase. And then they had their money sitting the little that they did have sitting, getting 0.5. And then their long-term debt was like 10 years plus of total income. And you start to just do basic, very basic math and understanding. You're going, you can never win this game. It's literally rigged against you. The numbers are killing you. And if you can just shift a little of that, if you can move over instead of 15% interest, right, instead of getting rid of all those numbers stacked against you, putting some in the asset column, putting some that are coming the opposite way, right, and lowering that overall debt load increasing your ability for opportunity. A lot of people say, oh, well, I wish I had opportunity. And I go, well, look at your personal financials. You're not in a position to take advantage of any opportunity. So it doesn't matter anyways. If an opportunity came, what would you do? You don't, you don't have capital. You have no savings. Your debt is stacked against you, right? And so they can't even take advantage of that uh, uh, opportunity anyways, and they're trapped. One of the hardest psychological hurdles for my, you know, majority of my clients are performers, right? Or the married couples, one, it's, it's a great hybrid, one very conservative, one very aggressive, right? And uh, wanting to chase returns and wanting to create financial freedom. And, 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 and so the ones that are the entrepreneurial mindset, they really struggle like I did uh, with the idea of just making 0%. But what, what's fascinating, and I've watched this over and over and over again, the 10 years at O plus, it's been 08, so it's over 10 years I've been in this industry, is that when you create an incredible amount of liquidity, opportunities will seek you out. I mean, I got a call this morning for a great uh, client, and, and I love lifelong relationships. And because of liquidity and because how we've leveraged things in his bank of sources, he's been able to buy real estate, leverage that money through the insurance companies. Right, with all the money it's growing income tax free. And uh, I was trying to do the math on it, but yeah, he made uh, before it's just great. I was like, I so appreciate the call for I was on your show. I mean, and he made a phenomenal return. Engineer worked with me a couple years ago, oh, two of them, best friends. 
um, by having liquidity, say it's just making 0%, doesn't matter. I was able to leverage uh, one and uh, become a partnership engineering firm. And I said, hey, what was your rate of return on your 0%, right? Just sitting liquid. And he smiled, it was over 100%, 120% IRR in one year. Phenomenal. You're not going to get that in the stock market without substantial risk. And then the, uh, the other, um, yeah, he was able to leverage things uh, to have a 7% note, right, through real estate, lending on a, to someone else in real estate that wouldn't qualify through the pretender lenders, your typical 30-year mortgages, that, oh, this guy's money wasn't seasoned long enough because he moved from uh, Europe into the States. And, uh, but they just didn't understand how funds are moving. So he couldn't get a typical mortgage. So one of my clients was able to, uh, to lend money, collect a 7% on a 30 year note. He made a phenomenal return and then made a huge amount, uh, when the property was sold years down the road. And so that's what liquidity will do for you. Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing. But you got tied up in a 401k, not so liquid, is it? Well, and, and you got to look at these examples too, that we talk about these little, and people are like, oh, that's small. Tell me about the big moves thing. Like this is the exact same game. So perfect example, I just bought a big office building and we're converting it into a huge storage facility. It's on the major exit into downtown. We come up, we you're putting 30% down. We're getting a construction loan, right? Um, we have people that are investing with us. We are coming up in the appraisal is over two weeks past due. We're now closing on the loan in two weeks and they have no appraisal and there's no end in sight. We're not it, and cr during Christmas. So what it means is the bank's freaking out. They're losing their mind and they're going they nuts, right? We've been doing this forever. And the investors, you know, they're talking they're like what's going to happen here? And we're like, "Oh, don't worry about it. We'll be the bank." So instead what we're doing is we're just going to buy it in cash. We'll awesome. buy it in cash. After it gets done, after the appraiser, everything else gets done, we'll refinance it. We bought that at literally million, millions of dollars discount because we could. So we'd already had it under contract at what was previously just months over a million dollars more that we bought from a struggling, struggling bank and a struggling buyer. And this is this year, people are saying they can't find deals. And nobody could get it done in that short amount of time because of the banking situation and everything like that. So we got it, got it in our contract, and we were going up against REITs to give you any idea. And they couldn't get it done in such a short period of time. How come we could? Because we had capital. Liquidity. Liquidity. So we're like, whether the bank can come through or not doesn't matter. I'll be the bank. I can do that. And that little difference right there is the difference of millions. Yeah, that millions. opportunity sought you out. And, and I've watched my clients uh, th this year in a seller's environment in Reno, Nevada, because California leadership, if you call it leadership, politicians are doing <laughs> no everything kidding. they can to push out the, the wealthy. Yes. So the ones moving out of California well, at least right they're now doing are doing a great job can. of it. They're really excelling. They're pushing they're, everybody they're really, out. <laughs> they're really good at uh, knocking out the ones that can still move, right? Yes. It won't last too much longer. And uh, But still, even in a seller's environment uh, where people are getting topped on their real estate, uh, I've had clients that have gotten phenomenal deals this year because uh, they were to able to just close within two weeks. They don't have to go through the, the, the mortgage companies. They don't have to play that game where I's and T's are being dotted and they go through that entire process just so they can sell off to Fannie Mae. And I'm not anti-loan on, so they have their yep. place. I mean, yeah. I just refied again uh, and my loan officer did a great job. 
and I, I'll take advantage of the 30-year fixed mortgage. But you have anything that's not in their little sweet spot, you can be a millionaire, billionaire, it doesn't matter. It's crazy. It's yeah. not, you're not going to get the funding. Yeah. And, and like you just said, you just got a, an incredible opportunity because you just had cash at Nidal. Yep. And people overestimate that. And it's the power of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And what I like to say is if there's, if there's a deal that everybody can do and that is well known, then it's not really a deal. It's whoever's getting it. It's you're all fighting over it, and that's going to be, give you the least yield. All the banks want to lend money on it, and everybody wants to do it. You can put 10% down. It's out on the open market, and I'm like, you're, you're all fighting the yield away, right? So you need mm-hmm. to put yourself in a position to take advantage of things that others can't. And once, I mean, of course, banks want to give you a high yield uh, uh, debt on your money on a risk on an asset that they actually own. You don't, but you work for the bank. That's a no brainer. <laughs> like, yeah. of course. And so it's a little counterintuitive, especially at this time in the cycle. Right. But we went for over a year, two years, maybe. I'm starting to think, do we go two years without buying a deal? We may have gone a full two years without buying a deal, which is unheard of for us. No, I bought one in a two-year period of time, which I was buying three to four every single year afterwards, right? Went into 19, nothing. Moved into 2020, nothing. And Corona hit the first month that Corona hit when everybody was losing their minds because, you know, China was showing pictures of everybody dead in the streets, which didn't end up even remotely close to happening. So everybody went nuts that first month. We had three weeks. We purchased two two deals, big deals, pennies on the dollar. And now we haven't bought anything. <laughs> now, now, now we're done buying. And it's the, you know, people forget patience and putting yourself in the position to take opportunity. That's where you really make money. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of delay gratification. Coincidentally, I just did a, an episode talking about uh, delay gratification. And um, I'm not... Yeah, delayed gratification, but it's not that delayed. I mean, waiting a couple of years for a deal, I mean, give yeah. me a break, right? Not, it, it, well, not too and bad, is it? You just hit on it. Like when I talk about delayed gratification, right, it, it's it's really not delayed. Only in our minds is it delayed, right? And I don't know, maybe, what is it? Maybe it is FOMO, right? Fear of missing out that it's like, I just got to execute. I just got to do it because everybody else is doing it. And this is how you do it. Instead of really looking at the numbers and really analyzing the deals like you're talking about, well, what if I have an alternative way, right? Instead of just stuffing my money in the stock market, because the stock market went up 10%. All these people are making money and I'm not. And so then they (laughs) stick it in. And of course, that's just not how the stock market works. They put their money in. And then after the 10% gains have already been, the gains are gone and it contracts, right? (laughs) So, uh, but they chase it. Everybody's chasing it, and it, it that pays just doesn't to, work. It, it pays to be contrarian, and, and I got to, you know, I've emphasized it more and more on my episodes. I'm not anti Wall Street. It's my bright and shiny object, but I think it's just asinine to think that that's the solution to end all. True diversification is that you have a portion of your portfolio in Wall Street. If it yeah. if it resonates for you, mm-hmm. some people it just doesn't. Don't do it. Uh, but have a piece in the stock market. But have a piece in real estate. Have a piece in uh, these non correlated assets that uh, create cash flow, you create uh, create accumulation and be very strategic when you're buying these assets because if you can get numerous benefits off $1, real estate's a phenomenal tool. 
right? I mean, because not only are you creating cash flow and equity being created, but it's also can be a very powerful uh, tax shelter. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. To depreciation. Yeah, I haven't paid taxes in years. Yeah, it, that's right. And so, I mean, just understanding, being contrarian, being different. If, if you want to be exceptional in, in, in finances, uh, I have found the majority are, be, are behaving contrarian to what the masses are doing. And, uh, and I just naturally have always been contrarian. I enjoy it. It's fun being different, uh, but also with a point to it. And, and yeah, when everyone's saying, Hey, you should tie up your money forever in the stock market, uh, that's a dangerous strategy. Uh, I think going back to uh, 20 minutes or so ago, it's like, it all begins with changing cash flow, creating liquidity, and then giving your permission, uh, giving yourself permission to start chasing rates return and uh, in having well, a, a balanced portfolio. Man, I can't just stress this enough, this basics. When when I got started, it was the early 2000s, right? So I was a sales guy. My father was the best teacher that anyone could ever have, right? He just was. Um, and we always said, listen, we're just a bunch of hicks that don't really understand what's going on. So we <laughs> just got to do what makes sense. So we were buying very rough, boring assets. And then by 2000 and Four, we stopped because we're like, we don't, we can't make sense of this. So instead, we worked on cash flowing businesses and we took no personal debt, zero, none. There was no personal debt. And then 2008 happened. We hadn't been purchasing the, the stock market, we hadn't been purchasing real estate. Why? Not because we knew anything that was going to happen. This is what I tell people. Like, I had no idea there was going to be a crash, right? You're kidding me. You don't have a crystal ball? I know. It's crazy. But I love how these professionals every day have a crystal ball, I know. right? I, like, oh, I broken. knew the crash was coming. I'm like, oh, you did? Yeah, I'm sure you did, right? <laughs> um, but like, when I tell people, they're like, how'd you know it was coming? I'm like, I didn't. My money just told me not to invest in it. Don't overcomplicate this. Mm-hmm. The cash flow didn't make sense. It wasn't a safe, right? And so we just didn't because it didn't make sense. Then lo and behold, we had lots of cash on hand. We had no debt, personal debt. The crash comes. We had cash flowing businesses. Well, what are you going to do? We started buying up real estate. And it has, and it's very different though than what people think. They're like, oh, either you were lucky or you knew it was coming, right? They, they don't think there's an in-between. That it's either you have a crystal ball or it's just dumb luck. And I'm like, money will tell you. If you, just by lowering risk, having cash on hand and getting good, solid investments at a good return and not chasing the money, not always having your money in deals, right? Like you just said, that leaves open to identify the real ones. But too, we, I guess... You could say we were patient from the standpoint, although I was going crazy because all my friends were getting rich in real estate. I've never felt so stupid in my life, right? Everybody I knew was getting rich. And I'm like, I thought I was smart, but I'm really not because I don't get this. And uh, lo and behold, it's just there was just nothing to get. And uh, we don't we don't see that a lot. I didn't see it. I, I guess I was just lucky that I had been raised by a father that said, if it doesn't produce cash flow, right, if you, you have no debt and you need to uh, make sure you have a lot of savings on hand. And so when we just analyzed this, it just didn't make sense. It was very, very simple. But this is a place of power. And I love that you're talking about it. But 
I want you to touch on something you mentioned early because I, sure. I love this. The oil and gas investments. You, you said you just come from because I've done this before. And I want you to tell, to tell people about this because it blows their mind. <laughs> What, what part do you want? What, can you repeat so, that so I make what, sure I understand what, you? What, what part do you want what were you, you share? What were you doing for the oil and gas investments? Mostly it's the tax benefits. I don't think people oh, understand it all. Back in like 04, 06? Why is that, I do is it? that what you're doing? Uh, the oil back and gas? then or, or, or today? Like which Both. store do you want me to share? Both. Tell us, oh, tell, I can go. tell us why you did it and why you are or not doing it and the pros and cons. Because that's an alternative investment, air quotations, yeah. right? Alternative. Alternative, yeah, alternative. Right? That most people, they not only never hear about, they never even really think about it. Here, let me share something that's an extreme example. One of my financial partners, one of his clients um, he represents, and this is just like, this is an absolute home run, not too often, but it does occur. Uh, over a quarter million dollar investment, and in six years, he became a billionaire in the Whoa. oil and natural gas industry. So that's the power of cash flow because when you look at oil and natural gas, it's energy it is not going away for a long time. And yeah. I'm all for electric motors. I, yeah. I'm fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the weak link or batteries, we'll see if that code is cracked. And uh, so, uh, but uh, the internal combustion engine is not, despite what politicians think they can pull off, uh, it's not going away for a long time. No, We're going to be not. dependent upon oil and natural gas. Energy is exciting. And natural gas is a great transition to renewable because it's very clean. And so that's an extreme example of how powerful it can be. And then I'll give, an, and I love teaching extremes, I'll give the other extreme. You know, I didn't want to be that person 30 years later, and back in 04, 06, I can't remember the exact year, but some around then, where uh, I was like, oh, if I just bought that piece of land or if I just did that investment, yeah. you know, I would have been a millionaire or a billionaire. And so I did have this fear of missing out and I, and I wanted to take action. And uh, the problem is I got in with the wrong players. A lot of the people, it's what's called Reg D uh, securities, Reg D exemption. Uh, you know, only accredited investors can get in. And, and the philosophy is that you're so educated on money, you're just going to know if you're working with bad players. There's a lot of bad players. A lot and, of bad players. A lot of bad players. And and I get called all the time by oil and natural gas uh, operators. Non-stop. They're the worst, dude. They're very consistent, very persistent. <laughs> yes. And uh, but, but when you see how the majority of those contracts are structured, they're making a crap load of money just on your investment before yeah. anything is successful. So they just, just, they just made a killing. And then, yeah, if it does well, great. And yeah, it can be a powerful tax tool uh, coming in as known as a, as a general partner, as an active investor because of intangible drilling costs, et cetera. So it can be very advantageous uh, for high income earners that have, um, they're going to have high tax liabilities. Um, but so, but I got in with the bad players. They had no invested interest in my success. I lost everything. And even worse is I had money call after money call after money call. No. So those two massive hurricanes that came in, you know, back in, I can't remember what year it was, uh, Katrina and, and the other, uh, it's really fun paying for rigs just sitting doing nothing. And so oh, that's an extreme example geez. that, A, they already made money. Then they just pass all the risk on to me and other investors. And I just yes. got my butt handed to me. It was very painful. and uh, But I learned a lot from it. And so that's an extreme example of playing the game wrong. And then for this year, COVID has been fasting. I just went uh, to do uh, due diligence on operations in uh, Texas in November with some uh, strategic partners and phenomenal operation. I mean, just brilliant minds and a brilliant system and mindset when it comes to the energy sector. And what's really fascinating, a lot of oil and natural gas operators just got their butts handed to them this year. 
I mean, I kind of equate yeah. them to developers, a lot of them. A lot of developers and construction guys, they just get it done and they're risk takers. And I really admire, I really admire um, their risk taking. Like it is just like, it is such an optimistic mindset to be a developer and get after it, not knowing, knowing you're not going to get paid for, for years potentially. Right. And, uh, but they just never have liquidity. They're always reliant on, um, and I shouldn't say never, but the majority are required on hard money lending, bridge loans, and and good luck dealing with banks. They'll lean on you. Well, a lot of these uh, oil operators, when oil dropped and went down to over over negative 30 a barrel, um, then they get these margin calls from the banks, they get money calls, and they have to sell off assets at a phenomenal discount. To survive, and usually they're selling off their best assets, which really makes no sense. But they have to. They have to because that's so the only ones have, that they can get money for. Then you have the the brilliant minds that are thinking far out that have a lot of liquidity mm-hmm. and partnerships in place that have just gobbled it up, gobbled it up this year. And so COVID, there's been some fascinating opportunities created uh, uh, for the select view in the oil and natural gas industry. And so um, you know, me and other investors, uh, we're, we're, we've been taking advantage of it because. Uh, it's it's phenomenal opportunities. I, I strongly believe that oil, and natural gas, especially oil, is going to come back once the world starts turning yeah. again. And when you look, we'll look at who I would argue is one of the best investors, or, or actually just buyer of businesses, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, and how they use insurance and offshore entities to to play that whole game from in, reducing taxation. Um, phenomenal opportunities once the world turns, uh, oils most likely will start going back up. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but you make money what you buy. And so, so in the oil and natural gas, I think it's a very fascinating industry. I think what's going to happen over time with renewable would get better and better over time. I still think risky in many ways uh, on the tech side. But also, if you look at real estate, look at uh, my clients in um, New York uh, City. I mean, that place is a ghost town. Yeah. Real estate is just getting crushed. Crushed. San so Francisco. What are, what are the tech companies? Oh. What are the tech companies doing in New York, though? which I think in a way kind of facilitated the world stop turning because of fear. I mean, fear always outweighs greed. They're gobbling up real estate for nothing in uh, New York. Are yep. they taking some risks? It's an educated risk because yep. if you look at real estate over time, over time, it has a strong return. Yeah. And so they're gobbling it up. They're making money on the buy and they're going to have phenomenal assets. And there's some delayed gratification. They might not see that for four or five years. Who knows? Um, but those are some what COVID has done this but year. But they have and, the ability too. So and this is the thing. They have liquidity. They have liquidity. They they have eighty mm-hmm. percent margins on hundreds of billions of dollars. They yeah. they they have so much money they don't know what to do with it. So it's not even that it's a calculated risk. It's it's you know I look when when in the short term everything is risky. Everything efficient market theory you know I don't believe in. Right. EMT, <laughs> I don't believe in because the markets are incredibly inefficient in the short term. But in the long term, markets are extremely efficient. And that's what like people are like, oh, yeah, well, we all know that, you know, housing, we always thought just goes up. That's not true. And I'm like, actually, it is true. It's just not in the short term. But mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. If you buy something today. In 30 years, it's going to be worth more appreciating assets. I'm not talking about cars or anything like that. But if you buy an investment today, and I get brokers that are going to be like, listen, man, this is going to be in 10 years, you're going to wish you would have bought this. And I go, in 10 years, I'll wish I would have bought everything. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, right? But if you have a ton of money, it's very true. Now, for Mm -hmm. me, I need the asset to pay me 
while I wait, because that helps with my liquidity and that helps with my debt and things. But if you're a big company, you have tons of cash on hand. You're these people that are buying oil, these people that are buying real estate right now in these depressed markets, right? Fear will calm down and those markets will bounce up and they will make a killing. Yeah. And I, to your point, I like the hybrid. I enjoy cash flow. I like cash flow. I love math, monthly cash flow. I love quarterly cash flow. And that's what alternative investments can do for you. And you, and on the back end, when you're selling these assets uh, for, you know, for large capital gains, I mean, for big profits over time. Yeah. So you kind of get, to, you get your cake in, in India too. I mean, you get both pieces and, yep. and, and so that's, and I just hate the world of alternative investment. I mean, it's just investments. It sounds it, scary, it's, but, but, it, but it's brilliant brainwashing. I mean, my is. gosh, I mean, Everyone's been programmed to get an IRA and 401k. And again, I'm not anti. They have yeah. a place yeah. for certain individuals. Yeah. But what's more empowering for most families? Having 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, 100,000 sitting in cash under a mattress or some strategic, some smart saving strategy, liquidity, and then some opportunity then to start investing long term. And so you get some great opportunity, you can pounce. And it's going to distinguish you from 99% of the households out there in this country. Absolutely. Well, so. hey, man, thank you so much. This was just awesome. I could talk to you all, all day about this, but but I won't watch you. Where can people go to find you? Uh, my website, engineerofinance.com. Uh, you can go there if anyone has questions what I do. We can dive into the weeds on the bank of source, but that's probably my most powerful saving strategy uh, that I love teaching for bodies that are qualified. Uh, but yeah, engineerofinance.com. Just go to that website. You can also um, listen to my podcast. It's the Engineer of Finance podcast. I've been doing that for over two years. I've had some phenomenal guests, including you recently. Thank you, AJ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, your was, podcast was, is is great. There's a lot of meat in it. I like it all. Thank you. You do a great Thank job. you. It's a, it's a fun show. I really love doing it. And I'm going to start diving more and more into the weeds. But I would say those are the two best ways to reach out. Go to engineerofinance.com. Uh, right on the website, I think in the upper right-hand corner, if you just want to talk with me for a few minutes, I love helping people. I get a lot of advisors are calling me, a lot of people listening to the show. It's like, you know, uh, just helping them take that next step, point them in the right direction, you know? And uh, so I would say those are the two best ways to reach out to me. Perfect. And we will have you on again because there's so much that me and you could just sit and discuss forever. But thank you for coming on, man. And until uh, next time, we'll see you. Hey, thanks, AJ. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.